Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, today, like Ben was just sharing, today's the fourth week of this series that we've been in uh, called Actors. And what we're doing throughout this series is doing our best to try to fly over the book of Acts and look at all the characters that show up throughout this story so that we can see the transformation that takes place in their lives through the presence of the gospel, the reality of the gospel in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we started this series by looking at the end of Acts chapter 2, where Luke gives us this summary statement of how the first believers of Jesus were sharing their lives together in light of the fact that, that they had all placed their faith in Jesus. And then we looked at the story of Peter. We saw the transformation in Peter's life from uh, the night Jesus is arrested where he denies that he even knows Jesus and that failure and how that's transformed into faithfulness in the early chapters of the book of Acts where he stands boldly for Jesus even in the face of the same people who had condemned Jesus to death. And then last week we looked at the story of Stephen in Acts 6 and 7 and we saw how God used him as he was sent out because of the truth of the gospel. And with the stories of Peter and Stephen, those two stories we've looked at in the last couple weeks, we've seen that uh, as a part of their story, we get a, the text of a sermon recorded for us within the book of Acts. And we didn't cover all those sermons in, in great detail, but in both, we saw a lot of common themes we noticed. Uh, that how... Uh, in, both, in both sermons, the case is being made that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that the Old Testament had promised who would come, and now that he has come and he has died and he's risen from the dead and he's ascended to the Father, the only appropriate response is for all people to respond with faith in Jesus and to be baptized into, a part, into his people. And I say all of that to give us a running start into the sermon this morning because... The character in the story we're going to be looking at today is the one who is a little different. They're hearing the message of Jesus as opposed to the one proclaiming the message of Jesus like we've looked at, like we've seen the last couple weeks. And so because of that, this story is a little different. This passage we're going to be looking at has a little bit less of a focus on the what, the message itself that is being proclaimed. It has a little bit more of a focus on the who, not the band, but but the who that is receiving... I thought that would get more laughs. I'm sorry. <laughs> the who that is hearing the message of the gospel and responding to it in faith. After the death of Stephen, where we left the story off last week, persecution breaks out against the church for the first time. And that causes them to scatter out of Jerusalem. And one of the people that goes out to avoid persecution, one of the people that scatters out of Jerusalem is, is this person, Philip. And we first meet Philip in Acts chapter 6, in the same place where we first met Stephen. He's one of the seven who was appointed to take care of, of widows within the church in Jerusalem. And, and as persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, Philip goes out. And first, Philip goes north into the region, from Jerusalem into the region of Samaria and proclaims the message of Jesus. And that's recorded in the first half of Acts chapter 8. And where we're going to pick up the story this morning, in the back half of Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip is going south under the guidance of God. And as Philip goes along, he is presented with an opportunity to, present, to proclaim the message of Jesus. 
And through this story, the way I want to break it down this morning, we see the person that Philip preaches to, uh, we see the text that Philip preaches from, and then we, receive, then we see the response to that message. So the person, the text, and the response. So let's start with the person, picking up in Acts 8 at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandake. I'm not 100% sure I'm pronouncing that word right, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. Which means, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So, the, the person in this text, who is this person Philip encounters on the road? Well, first off, we know that, that this, this person is from Ethiopia, a kingdom south of Egypt on the continent of Africa, roughly what is today Sudan, so roughly the same territory as the modern-day nation of Ethiopia, if you were to look at a globe right now, but, but not exactly. Now, not only is this person from that kingdom, uh, they're a high official within that kingdom. They're in charge of the entire treasury. They, they serve the, the queen mother, the Kandake, which is the title for that role. Your Bible might write that word as, uh, it looks like our English name, Candace. And at least for me, it could make it a little confusing. It looks like that's the name of the person being talked about here, but it's more of a title, more like Pharaoh or Caesar or president or something like that. So, not only do we know that this is a pretty important and influential person in this kingdom based on, based on the role that this, that this Ethiopian eunuch has, but we can also figure out that they must be pretty well off based on the fact that they're riding in a chariot and they're reading a scroll, their own scroll, of the book of Isaiah. Most people in the ancient world walked everywhere they went. If you were really well off, maybe you had an animal that you could ride, maybe you had a horse or a donkey or something like that, but only the top of the top 1%, the absolute most wealthy, were able to have a chariot that they could use for journeys like this. And scrolls weren't cheap either. Uh, the printing press has not been invented yet. There, there's no two-day shipping from Amazon going on in the ancient world. If you want a copy of any book, you have to hire a professional scribe to make a copy from scratch, by hand. So possessing a scroll of an entire book of the Bible was a luxury enjoyed by a very select few. To have your own personal copy, uh, I counted this week, I think I have 15 different Bibles on the shelf in my office down the hall here. There is nothing close to that anywhere in the ancient world. So the Ethiopian eunuch is very well off in terms of their position within the government and in terms of their material wealth. And yet, things aren't quite that simple. Because the other detail we are told is that this person is a eunuch. And I'll pause right now and issue a blanket apology to any parents who have to explain that term over lunch today. I told Ben that he had to explain it in the children's sermon, but he didn't listen to me. <laughs> it was pretty common in the ancient world for those who were high officials in royal courts to be eunuchs so that you don't run the risk of having any illegitimate children within the palace. So we don't know the entire background of this person, but we know that because of this reality, the Ethiopian eunuch would have been considered an outsider by anyone and everyone. 
uh, the Ethiopian eunuch would have been considered sexually ambiguous, a major problem in the ancient world where there are very clear gender distinctions in every realm of society and where so much about your existence centers around the family you come from and continuing that family line. Uh, sure, this person had, ex had ascended to a position of authority, but in reality, they're more near power than possessing any power within themselves. Uh, they serve at the pleasure of the queen. They have authority, but they're, they're a social outcast, treated as suspect by just about everyone. And not only are they a social outcast, they are a religious one as well. Deuteronomy 23.1 makes it clear that, that this person would not have been allowed to enter into the temple for worship. And yet, they still seem to be searching for God. They've apparently coughed up a bunch of money to be able to possess their own personal scroll of Isaiah. They've traveled a long distance from their home all the way to Jerusalem, and even once they got there, they weren't able to get into the temple to worship God at all. The setup of the temple in Jerusalem during this time was a little bit like boarding an airplane. I remember the first time I ever flew by myself. I, don't really, I didn't really have a great grasp on boarding groups. So I just saw a line of people at the gate, you know, getting ready to get on an airplane. So I got in line, and I get up to the front of the line, and I don't remember exactly the conversation, but the way I remember it, at least, is something along the lines of was said, like, yeah, this is boarding group B, and you're in boarding group J, so you should probably go to the back of the line and, and, wait, and wait your turn here. Because if you've ever flown anywhere, you know there are tiers to boarding an airplane. You have the people who get... Uh, to sit in the lounge before the flight ever takes off, which I've never been allowed near. I assume it has to be the greatest place on earth. You have first class where you get all the extra amenities and you have to walk past those people on your way to your seat and you, and you get to see all the things that they get that you're missing out on. And, and then all the way at the back, you get the people who are just hoping that by the time they get to their seat, there's, no, there's enough room left in the overhead compartment to where uh, they, don't, they don't have to sit through the entire flight with their carry-on in their lap. And there's been just a couple times in my life where I've gotten to fly using someone else's frequent flyer miles, and it's like experiencing a whole different world. It's the greatest thing ever. And there is something similar going on with access to God in the temple during this time of Jesus in the early church. You have the high priest. The high priest is able to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Every year. The, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God's presence dwells. After that, you have the rest of the priests. And the rest of the priests serve in shifts. They offer the regular sacrifices out uh, in the holy place. Day to day, they offer sacrifices for themselves and for the people. Outside of that, you have the court where, where Jewish men would be allowed to go and worship. Outside of that, you have the court of the women. Outside of that, you have the court of the Gentiles. They're the last boarding group, if you will, which is the place for people like this Ethiopian eunuch, if he's even lucky to make it that far. Access is pretty tightly restricted. And yet, this person has made this journey to try as hard as they can to get as close to God as possible. I don't know everything that's going on within the Ethiopian eunuch's mind and heart, but this isn't the kind of trip you just make because you've got you got a long weekend and everyone's told you you've got to see Jerusalem before you die. That you only make this sort of trip if you are really truly searching for God. 
the Ethiopian eunuch has taken drastic steps to try to come near to this God that he has heard about. And what he has found once he gets to Jerusalem is a barrier. Only allowed to worship this God that they're searching for from a distance. And in terms of social status, in terms of sexual identity, in terms of religious practice, in terms of every area of life imaginable, this person is an outsider. Someone who is searching for God and yet fully aware of the fact that they are not able to come near to that God. And now, as, as they're uh, presumably making sense, trying to make sense of what, it, what they've seen in Jerusalem, they're reading uh, from this text in Isaiah. And that, that specific text is really significant, which we'll see here in a few moments, picking up in verse 30. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's uh, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We don't know how much time passes during this scene, if there's a long while where Philip's just kind of awkwardly hanging out next to this chariot waiting for someone to ask him a question or something like that, looking for a way into the conversation. But eventually, uh, he, he asked the Ethiopian eunuch if he knows what he's reading. Not just, uh, hey, do you know, like, are you able to read? Are you able to sound words out and make sentences out of it? But do you truly understand? Do you grasp the significance of the words on the page? And the Ethiopian eunuch admits that, that, that he does not, making him far from the first or the last person to be confused by the book of Isaiah. And so, he invites Philip up into the chariot to join him and help him understand the words of the prophet. And like I said, the passage that Luke quotes for us there, that the eunuch is trying to understand, is Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And like you've probably heard me say before, any time we come across a passage like this in the New Testament where a verse or two from the Old Testament is quoted, it's usually good for us to remember to keep in mind the entire passage from the Old Testament that those verses are coming out of. Because this section in the book of Isaiah contains what are often referred to as the servant songs. Isaiah, throughout these chapters, keeps talking about this servant. And sometimes that servant sounds like he's talking about the, the entire nation of Israel. Sometimes it sounds like maybe he's talking about himself. Sometimes maybe he's talking about someone who's going to come way off in the future. It's, it's never really all that clear. And so it makes sense, especially if, if the Ethiopian eunuch has been working through the entire book of Isaiah... And by the time they get to chapter 53, they're going to be pretty confused about what's going on and who's being discussed. And we're not provided with an inner monologue of the Ethiopian eunuch through this passage, but as we read this story, you can't help but wonder what it is specifically that draws their attention to these verses. Have you ever come across something that just felt like it perfectly described your, what you were going through or your situation? Maybe, maybe you're watching a movie or a TV show and you just think, wow, that character, that person looks exactly like me. They act exactly like me. 
Or maybe you were listening to a song on the radio and you thought it might as well have been written about my life because it describes perfectly what I have gone through, what I am going through right now. I don't know this for certain, but I think something similar might be going on with the Ethiopian eunuch as they read Isaiah 53. Maybe reading about this servant that was going to be rejected by the world struck a chord. Maybe reading earlier in this chapter, in Isaiah 50, earlier in Isaiah 53, about this servant who was going to be despised and held in low esteem reminded him of his own life. Maybe, maybe they saw just a little bit of themselves in this servant as they read. Because if God, if God was going to send a servant like this, then maybe, just maybe, that pronouncement of outcast, of reject, wouldn't follow the Ethiopian eunuch around forever. If God's servant was rejected, maybe there would be hope for all of everyone else who had ever had reject pronounced over them. It's in the midst of all that that Philip, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is able to look at this passage and see what Isaiah was looking forward to because Philip knows the good news of Jesus. He begins by telling, telling him about how God became a man. He tells about how when God became a man, he said things like that he had not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That this man did not come to earth to take power for himself but to give it so that others could have life. He tells them about how Jesus was made an outcast, was humiliated, had all the sins of humanity laid upon him even though he was sinless. How he suffered and died and all people are able to be healed through the wounds Jesus. And he did all of that without protest, without demanding his rights, even as he suffered under the hand of injustice. He endured it all for you, for me, and for these two reading scripture together in this chariot recorded for us in Acts 8. And Luke doesn't tell us if they read other passages, uh, if they kept reading through the book of Isaiah, and again, we don't know this for certain, but I have to wonder, maybe they kept reading. Maybe they got to Isaiah 55, which begins, that chapter begins by saying, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cause. And that chapter continues from that invitation to proclaim the compassion of God and the invitation to anyone and everyone that might want to draw near to God, that they are welcome, that they can come to, come to God. Maybe they kept reading. Maybe they got into Isaiah 56. Maybe they got down to Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, where it says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Isaiah was anticipating a day when God would throw open the doors. Isaiah was looking forward to a time when God would send his servant, and that servant would give up his own life for the sake of God's people. 
And through that sacrifice, it would be made possible for everyone, regardless of their background, their ethnicity, their social status, to be welcomed into God's people. And that moment Isaiah was looking forward to has come to fulfillment through the ministry of Jesus. And now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, those considered outcasts no longer have to stand on the outside wishing that someone would let them in. The blood of Jesus makes it possible for everyone to come in and participate as a part of God's people. Everything that the Ethiopian eunuch, this social outcast, has been looking for by traveling to Jerusalem and studying the book of Isaiah has been made available through Jesus, through the message of the gospel. They are no longer an outcast that can never be truly accepted. Because of the gospel, they are no longer an outcast who only has authority because someone else gave it to them temporarily. They're a child of God. Not because of anything that they have done, but because of what Christ has done for them. That's the beauty of the gospel. And I know that a good portion of you all listening to my voice right now are familiar with that. But just because we're familiar with it does not mean we should skip over it so quickly. Christ has come as, a fulfillment of the, as the fulfillment of the promises of God. Christ came as a servant, giving up his life so that we might have life with God. And apart from the blood of Christ, we are all outcasts. Maybe longing or searching for him, but unable to come near through our own merits. But what Christ has done on our behalf means that we can come near. Because he was the servant sent by God, the walls of division have been brought down so that we might no longer be outcasts. We might be called children of God. That is the message that unites us to God and to one another, and that message is for everyone. It is not reserved only for those who have done enough to work themselves into God's favor. It's not reserved only for those who have not made too big of a mess of their lives. It is for everyone. For those searching for God, Jesus has come so that they may be found by him. For those wondering if God could ever care about them, the answer is yes every single time. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, the truths of this passage, the truths Philip presents to the Ethiopian eunuch are true for you as well. The message of Jesus is for everyone. Coming to Jesus provides hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, peace for the anxious, and comfort for the hurting. The message of Jesus is for everyone, even you and me. And we'll look at how we respond to that here in just a few moments. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time now, the core truths of the gospel are truths that we should circle back to and remind ourselves and one another of regularly. Because we never graduate from the gospel. We don't learn the gospel once and then move on to something better. We center everything that we are around Jesus. When life is difficult, we come back to the gospel. When we stand at the tombstone of a loved one, we remind ourselves that the gospel tells us that since Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. When we don't know how we're going to make ends meet, we remind ourselves that the gospel means that no matter what our situation might look like in terms of material goods, God is a loving Father who will provide everything that we need. When we are faced with anxiety and despair, we remind ourselves that the truth of the gospel provides peace, peace that passes all understanding. 
when sin is crouching at our door, the gospel reminds us that Jesus died so that we could be set free from sin. And we overcome, not by our own might, but through what he has done for us. That is why we believe that the gospel is not just something that makes sure we get to go to heaven one day, way off in the future. It is a reality that transforms our life day to day, right here and right now. And because that's the truth of the gospel, we respond by placing our faith in Jesus. And that's demonstrated through baptism, which is how we see the eunuch respond in the last scene of this story, picking up at verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here's water. What, what can stand in the way of, me, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns, until he reached Caesarea. Like we've already talked about this morning, there were all sorts of barriers in place that would have prevented the Ethiopian eunuch from being able to participate fully in worship with God's people or to even be accepted in a number of different places in society. But as they travel along, the eunuch hears those, Philip expound the gospel, and he hears those barriers being taken away. The boundaries of access to God that the eunuch has encountered when they were in Jerusalem, the dividing walls that said, if you weren't Jewish, you could only go this far. If you were a Jewish woman, you could only go this far. If you were a Jewish man, you could only go this far. They've been knocked down through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so as the eunuch is hearing this good news, they come across some water. The question is raised of well, what barriers are left, and the answer is none. Jesus has broken down those barriers, and now anyone who believes in Jesus is welcome to enter into God's people. Because Jesus was cast out, this outcast can be brought into God's family. The New Testament scholar Esau Macaulay says, This eunuch, as a despised thing, found hope in the shamed Messiah whose resurrection lifts those with imposed indignities to places of honor. No longer would the Ethiopian eunuch be considered an outcast and looked down upon because the God of the universe has proclaimed that he is his child. And so, the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, Philip is taken away by the Spirit, and both continue on their journey with God, one back to their home, one to a, to a completely new place, both going with the presence of the Holy Spirit to continue what God is doing in their lives. And right here in this story, we see in miniature... The experience of the gospel that's available to each and every one of us. If right now you could not imagine how God could ever accept you into his family fully. Or if you've been in church every single Sunday of your life. The experience of transformation through the gospel is something that is available to us all. And we have to experience it for ourselves. This is not something we can skate by on because a parent or a grandparent or a group of friends took care of it for us. The transformation of the gospel is something that changes us. And the life available through the gospel is something that we as God's people lean into every single day as we walk by faith in him. And that is the truth that is at our core as followers of Jesus. The gospel is for everyone, even people like you and me. Because Jesus has broken down the barriers of sin and death that had 
previously separated us from God, we are able to offer that hope and salvation to those around us as well. The gospel is still able to break down barriers today. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in times that are divided along seemingly every line imaginable. Yet, we should never lose sight of the fact that those barriers are not more powerful than the gospel of Jesus. The cross and the empty tomb means that we all are able to be made new in Jesus. And so, if you have not taken that step, please do not leave this building today without at least considering what difference, what power the gospel might have in your lives, in your life. And if you have been following Jesus, remind yourselves of these truths today and in the coming week. Because no matter where you are this morning, the gospel is for you. The gospel offers all of us life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life available to us in the gospel. We are grateful that you did not abandon us when we were rebellious and sinful, but you came to break down the barriers of sin and death that had separated us from you. We're grateful that in Jesus we are raised to new life, to be a part of your people. We long for the day when that will be fully realized. So in the meantime, help us to come near to you, to experience the power of the gospel in our own lives for ourselves so that we can live life with you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.